Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris, from RimfireTactical.com. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to episode 51, everybody. Hope you all guys are all staying safe, staying healthy. Um, as I joke all the time, staying positive, testing negative. You know, um, back in, I guess it was February or March when all this COVID craziness started, uh, I remember thinking that, you know, this is a, a funky little thing, something that, um, you know, will kind of be here today and hopefully gone tomorrow or, you know, within the next week or few weeks or maybe a month, uh, kind of like, you know, some of the other um, viruses and different things that have been out there before. And, and not necessarily that uh, maybe those things went away, um, bird flu and uh, you know, all those different things like that, but maybe they didn't go away, but they certainly, uh, didn't get the type of press and coverage that, uh, we've seen with, uh, COVID and, you know, definitely didn't impact our daily lives like COVID has. And here we are, you know, several months later and man, it just continues to, to be something that is, um, Basically, uh, it's become a part of of daily lives and and just you know daily conversation. Uh, just it's something unlike anything that I think any of us have. Well, I'm sure any of us have ever seen. But you know, I say, Chris, why are you starting off podcast talking about something like that? When hey man, this is supposed to be a shooting podcast and something that is uh, you know focused on rimfires and this is still a shooting podcast and it is absolutely focused on rim fires. But the reason I'm starting the podcast off is because man, this stinking virus has absolutely wreaked havoc on the shooting community in terms of just simple things like having matches. Um, I see people talking more and more about matches, uh, resuming in their areas and thankfully, uh, several of the matches that I shoot in, uh, in my area have resumed, but still others have continued to, um, reschedule and reschedule to the point of, there is no way to get them rescheduled this year, uh, or like one match in particular, I think they've had it one time, uh, all year. They normally start in March, but they've only had the match, I believe it was in May or in June, and they've uh, canceled it every other month just because of fear of COVID and and fear of, uh, you know, people not taking precautions and things like that. But with all that being said, thankfully, like I said, you know, we are seeing a lot of matches uh, start to resume uh, in my area. All of the matches are held outside, and you know, uh, with with any luck, by the time we finish up um, September, getting into October, uh, October is typically the end of the match season for nearly all the matches in my area. But hopefully, we'll get them all in and be able to rock and roll into 
uh, fall with hunting season. And, you know, by the time that the spring match season rolls around, you know, maybe we'll have a handle on how to deal with this stuff. But with all that being said, I'm done talking about COVID. Uh, hopefully, you know, um, you're like me. You're tired of hearing about it. You're tired of talking about it. And you'd rather talk about something fun like guns. Because I got a cool toy to talk about today. Now, before I get into talking about uh, the topic today, I want to touch base on a couple of different things. One of those being uh, a sponsor of the show. They're really the only sponsor that we have. And this sponsor is someone um, that you know I bring up because given where we are in uh, the political world today, if you're a fan of the Second Amendment in any way, shape, or form, you know that we are constantly uh, under attack, those of us that support the Second Amendment. It feels like we are constantly in a place where we're trying to uh, enjoy the Second Amendment, enjoy being able to go out and purchase a handgun, rifle, a shotgun, whenever we want. We're um, grateful to have that, you know, as an option, um, just about anywhere in the country, to be able to go and purchase ammo and things like that. But if you've been around guns for any length of time at all, you know, it seems like the Second Amendment is constantly under attack. And given everything that's happening right now, the election coming up, uh, there's no more important time to be a supporter of the Second Amendment. Well, one of the things that uh, I see a lot of in the business world is I see a ton of companies out there in certain industries that are not only anti-Second Amendment, but they're anti-Second Amendment to the point of impacting businesses on a daily basis. And in this particular uh, scenario, the types of businesses I'm talking about are businesses that are related to the Second Amendment, be it gun shops, uh, businesses that sell gun parts, um, ammunition suppliers, people who sell optics, people who have normal day-to-day -day type businesses that are somehow related to the gun industry. Given where we are with um, the COVID junk and the fact that uh, suddenly you've seen these signs pop up in businesses all around the country saying due to the national coin shortage, they're encouraging people to either pay with exact change or with a credit card you know, obviously, who a business chooses for their credit card processing has never been more important. In the uh, gun industry, if you are a gun shop owner, if you own a website where you make gun parts and, and sell them, or you're a reseller, or if you're a manufacturer or wholesaler, more than likely, you've already experienced what I'm about to mention and that is simply 
uh, companies in the payments industry deciding that they will be the ones in charge of when you get paid. And what I mean is we've seen a large increase in people or companies that do credit card processing who are choosing to withhold the money that is owed to the businesses because that business sells guns or gun parts. We've even seen instances where some payment companies have chosen to not only hold the money that is owed to a business for legitimate sales that they've made, we've even seen scenarios where some companies have taken upon themselves to refund the purchases that were made so that if somebody made a purchase from a gun shop or made a purchase from uh, a website, they got the product that they purchased shipped to them. Or if it was a scenario where uh, maybe someone purchased a gun uh, through a website, as you all well know, if I go to a website and purchase a gun and I had that gun, um, I can't have it sent to my home. You know, it has to be shipped to an FFL dealer, federal firearms licensed dealer. We all know this. It's, it's the way the industry operates. But there's been instances where companies that do credit card processing have actually refunded the person who made the purchase. They've given them a full refund on their credit card after the item was shipped out to the federal firearms dealer. And in some cases, this was done months later. So now the um, person who owns the website, they've shipped their gun. So they've shipped the product. They received the money for it before they shipped it, of course, just to have that money taken back out of their checking account and refunded to their customer. And now the customer has not only the gun, but they have their money as well. So I tell you all that to say that if you're in not only the, in, in some way, shape or form, part of the gun industry, but even if you are just a business owner or uh, someone who runs a business and you're a supporter of the second amendment, I would strongly encourage you to look at who does the credit card processing for the business you run. Find out about them. See if they are truly Second Amendment friendly or if there's someone who just hasn't figured out what you sell yet. And the reason I say that is because more and more of these types of companies they're starting to go and look through their customer base. They're starting to go and audit websites more and more. They're starting to do more of a deep dive into their customers. And specifically, they're searching their customer database for words like guns, words like tactical, words like shooting, hunting, 
they're searching their databases for businesses with those types of names. And then they're going through social media. They're doing everything they can to learn more about those businesses. And they're doing this not because of a regulation from Visa, MasterCard, Discover American Express. They're doing all of this simply because of their stance on the Second Amendment and the fact that they do not support the Second Amendment in any way, shape, or form. And these companies, you know, several of them, uh, we're not going to sit here and t go through the whole list, but several of them uh, I see people in the gun industry use all the time. And I think most of them have the opinion, um, well, that was really sad that that happened to such and such. But that won't happen to me. And, you know, um, maybe you're right. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. And here's the real question is, what do you do when that happens? I mean, are you going to try to sue them? Sure, you can try to sue them. But do you have enough cash on hand? Do you have enough um, resources to be able to continue to run your business while they are holding on to 10, 20, 30, 100, 200, $500,000 or more. And these companies, when they do this, when they hold those funds, I've watched it time and time again. I've watched business owners try to fight to get their money back. And I've watched it happen where the money's been held for as little as seven days and it was catastrophic to the business. But I've also seen it held for 90 days, 180 days. And the reality of it is, if the money gets held, there isn't a thing you can do to get it released any sooner than when they tell you they're going to release it. So I tell you all those things because obviously the gun industry is near and dear to me. Uh, it's, it's a passion of mine. And it's something that uh, I take very seriously whenever I see anyone um, who is discriminating against businesses that are in the gun industry. And so I highly recommend you head over to getaccuratepayments.com. If you're in the gun industry, or even if you're not in the gun industry, but you're a supporter of the Second Amendment, and if you're listening to this podcast, I have to assume you are. Head over to getaccuratepayments.com. There's not a ton of information. It's not a website that was put up with the intention of having you, uh, you know, read for hours with tons of content. It's simply a landing page where you can go and request someone from the Get Accurate Payments team to reach out to you and see what they can do to help you with your credit card processing needs. There's no contracts, there's no uh, leasing on equipment if you need it or anything like that. It's just simply a great company that offers credit card processing, Second Amendment friendly, and one that was designed to offer not just people in the gun industry and their businesses, but any type of business a great experience 
with some of the best customer service in the industry, all while having incredibly competitive processing rates and understanding that um, politics and payments don't go together. So again, head on over to getaccuratepayments.com, fill out the form, someone from their team will reach out to you and talk to you about your business and see what they can do to help you. Now, let's talk about uh, something that I talked about quite a bit a few episodes ago, and that was the fact that I actually got to go shoot in a steel challenge match. Now, I mentioned in that that episode that more than anything, you know, I have always been a rifle shooter more than more so than handguns. And really, I've always enjoyed being able to kind of stretch things out, um, shooting as far as I can accurately, um, but also just really, really, really being focused on precision. That's always been a really big deal to me. Um, the, uh, you know, the way I was brought up, I've talked about it in previous episodes, but we didn't really, you know, go out target shooting or planking or anything for the most part when I was growing up. We, we hunted a lot, but I can't say that we really shot a lot, if that makes sense. And, um, it was more of a philosophy, whether my, it was from my father or my grandfather's, it was all about, um, you know, making the most accurate shot you could. And, uh, the day that we switched over from hunting squirrels with a shotgun to hunting squirrels with a rifle, uh, you know, it became all about, you're not just shooting at the squirrel, you're shooting the squirrel you know, in the head and, you know, you have to pick that aiming point in the head and, you know, the, it, everything from that point on, uh, all the way through to, uh, you know, deer hunting and everything from that, uh, that, that aspect has always been to pick the spot. You know, you're not shooting at the deer, you're shooting at that small pocket, you know, midway up his body or, you know, lower, lower third of its body. Uh, right behind the front shoulder or whatever. So precision's always been uh, ingrained in me that that's what you focus on. And, um, you know, through the years, I've I've always enjoyed shooting handguns. Um, I enjoy being around handguns. The reality of it is, though, I've never been that great of a handgun shooter. And a lot of that is, frankly, because I didn't practice. And, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword. The way you get better at doing anything is by practicing. But, um, when I would go to practice, I would get frustrated because I was expecting to have groups that, you know, understanding that they probably weren't going to be quite as tight as the groups that I would shoot with a rifle, but I was expecting, you know, these really tight groups and, uh, I don't know necessarily why I had that expectation other than just that's how I was always taught that you, you should shoot, you know, as accurately as possible, but I would get frustrated at the lack of accuracy 
in in my groups and so you know it's this uh, self-fulfilling prophecy i don't shoot a handgun well so i don't practice often i don't practice often so i don't shoot a handgun well well as mentioned, you know, a couple of episodes, I think it was episode 49, I talked quite a bit about getting to go and shoot my first steel challenge match. And, you know, I was so excited at the opportunity to get to shoot that match because, frankly, anytime I get a chance to shoot, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a fun time. But it was something new and... Uh, it was mainly it was it was a different type of match that I could shoot that would not only allow me <clears throat> excuse me allow me the opportunity to go out here and start shooting my handguns more, but it also would allow me to do something that's not I don't want to say it's totally different or worlds different than the shooting I would normally do, but you know, in the precision world, you typically don't have people shoot exceptionally fast. Now, in a lot of the matches that I shoot, I am absolutely guilty of, you know, seeing the wind conditions change and be steady for a few minutes. And uh, I've talked about it time and time again, especially with my voodoos. I, I can run that bolt pretty darn quick. Um, I can get 10 shots down range on 10 different silhouettes, uh, especially if shooting it from a bench. I can get those shots down range really fast for running a bolt. And more often than not, um, the, out of those 10 shots, uh, at least 8 to, to 10 of those silhouettes, they're going down. So you can shoot somewhat rapidly uh, with a bolt gun. And I'm certainly by no means am I the fastest guy out there uh, running a bolt, but it can be done. But um, you know, if I'm completely honest with myself and with you guys, if given the opportunity to pull the trigger as fast as, as I can and, and hit something, well, I'm going to do that and smile and smile and smile. Uh, it's just not something that I've ever had a chance to do before. So that takes me back to talking about the steel challenge match. And man, it was so much fun to be able to go to that and, uh, you know, to be able to uh, hopefully go one for one, have five shots on five pieces of steel and, you know, a couple seconds or less, depending on the stage. Uh, didn't always work out that way, of course. Um, sometimes it was one shot on each steel, but it took me a bit longer than, than a couple of seconds. Other times it was six or seven shots to get a shot on each one. Uh, heck, there was even, I think there was one stage, if I remember correctly, where I think on the 10th round in the magazine, I finally got the fifth hit and uh you know that was nothing more than me trying to go faster than uh than my skills would allow if that makes sense but you know ultimately in that match i had went with the expectation 
of shooting a rimfire rifle with an optic, a rimfire pistol with an optic, and I was hopeful that I could also shoot a rimfire pistol with the factory sights, the irons. Unfortunately, I got there, uh, really, I, I got there right as the match was starting, and, uh, you know, it's very grateful for them to let me shoot, even though I, you know, was so late getting there. But when they asked what I was shooting, and I told them I had those three options, basically they said pick one. And, you know, rightfully so. Um, obviously, it's allowed to shoot more than one gun. But I was there so late and never having shot a match before. I was slowing things down to begin with. And, uh, you know, it just made sense for them to, to limit me uh, on what I could do because I still had to run back down a hill to my vehicle, grab my gear, run back up, and they were, you know, they were waiting to start the match until I was ready. So I picked what I was most comfortable with, which was the rimfire rifle optic. You know, had a good time, learned a lot, um, and, and ultimately, you know, uh, as the saying goes, got hooked really badly on wanting to shoot this type of match going forward. So. As I thought about it, I realized it would be a great opportunity for me to do something that I typically don't do, which is to focus or spend time shooting handguns, because that's not been a focus of mine for years, other than just to go out and plink and play. And really, when I've gone out to do that, uh, you know, I'm typically just shooting it, uh, shooting into a bank where I'm shooting at rocks or uh, something not really even putting out, um, you know, actual pistol targets or anything like that. And part of that's just because, you know, I've talked before, shooting paper is painfully um, boring to me. I know some people love it, and I'm, you know, don't hold, uh, don't hold anything against someone that enjoys doing it. Hope you guys don't hold against me the fact that I don't enjoy it, but I just don't. I don't enjoy. Uh, shooting paper for hours on end it's just not my thing so um it's no different with handguns actually it's probably more depressing with handguns uh just because the groups are larger so my plan for shooting steel challenge um when i was looking at the options that i had i had a ruger mark three twenty-two forty-five light uh, neat little pistol, um, and uh, also have a Browning Contour Light, uh, and both of those I picked up just because I love the feel of the guns. Had nothing to do whatsoever with any sort of competition or anything like that. Um, as I mentioned, you know I'm a hunter at heart, and so um, I've always had this thought that I would like to do some small game hunting with a handgun, but again, you know, never really practiced enough to feel confident enough that I wouldn't either just go out and miss a considerable amount, but I don't care what we're talking about. I don't care if we're talking deer, squirrel, turkeys, heck, coyotes, you know, I don't want to wound something. You know, I either want to make that shot and make it a kill shot, or I don't you know I, I i don't want to miss but i'd rather miss than wound the animal 
So both of those pistols, you know, were purchased because they're lighter weight and they had a great feel. And both of them have little red dots on them. Uh, it's the same little red dots that you've heard me talk about the story of finding not only that Bushnell had a great <laughs> rebate, but also an Amazon seller that was blowing them out at a very um, inexpensive price to begin with. Uh, it's the Bushnell TRS 25s, great little red dots. Um, but I ended up purchasing five of those things. And so they've been on different handguns and rifles uh, through the years and, and they serve a really great purpose. Um, so I go through this process of uh, looking at those two and also, um, you know, just trying to decide what made the most sense. Um, I'm a really big fan of having not just a couple of magazines, but what I learned at the Steel Challenge match is you're going to have five strings of fire on each stage. So really, it seems crazy to not have at least five magazines um, for the rifle or for the handgun that you're shooting. Because if you don't, what becomes a problem is you're standing at the line slowing down the match because you're loading magazines. And, you know, as far as a pistol with an optic, those two options were the ones that I had, but I didn't have, um, I didn't have, uh, five magazines for the Buckmark. Now the Ruger was an exception. Um, I got a couple of the Mark three 2245s. Um, so I had a couple of magazines, um, because the gun ship with one. But um, one of those, actually both of those guns I bought used. So each of those came with extra magazines. So I had four magazines for the Mark III's, or the Mark III 2245. But about two months ago, maybe three months ago now, I, I can't remember for sure when, uh, I happened to pull up Rimfire Central's classifieds one day. And there was a seller who, I don't know, I assume this person has a gun shop. I'm not sure. But they were advertising 10 Ruger 22.45 Mark III magazines for a very inexpensive price. They were advertising those things for uh, $100. And that was $100 shipped for those 10 magazines. Which, if you've priced those things, that is less than half of what they normally sell for. Uh, it seems like when I've looked at those in uh, or on different websites, typically I think they're in the neighborhood and I'm going off of memory. I think normally they're in that 22 to $25 range, uh, of course, plus, you know, tax and shipping. Uh, locally, the, they run anywhere from about 28 to around 32 or $33. Uh, per magazine. So even if I never shot Steel Challenge, which it wasn't in the plans at that time, heck, I didn't know they had a match here. Um, I wanted to go ahead and get those magazines because it's just, it's, it's been something that's been uh, a focus of mine, which is to have a lot of magazines for any of the guns that I shoot. 
because I've had several instances where um, if there was a problem with a magazine and I didn't have any backups, then I was forced to go try to find one in a store. And in the area I live in, we have some really good gun shops, but if you're shooting something that isn't uh, just a run-of-the-mill type gun, the chances of finding a, another magazine, uh, well, they're, they're slim to none here. Now, combine that with the fact that uh, the 2245s are very popular, uh, even for the shops that do keep those magazines, usually they're not available um, because they seem to sell a lot of those pistols. So anyway, I'll tell you all that just to say I got a crap load of uh, magazines for the 2245 uh, Mark III light. And so that was the pistol that I had planned to shoot with an optic that day. Now, after you know shooting the match and figuring out you know several things, I went out and started shooting and practicing some. And what I figured out with the, the Ruger was several things. One, I never did um, do the magazine disconnect, and it's still on my list of things to do. But that magazine disconnect feature, if you're not familiar with it, what it does is it prevents the pistol from firing if it doesn't have a magazine in it. And the thought process is, you know, you, you fire um, a magazine full. You think you fired 10 shots. You take the magazine out. Um, but you, you, you know, lost track of counting, but you happen to take the magazine out and, you know, someone inadvertently, you know, they, maybe they're reckless or dangerous or whatever. Um, they go ahead and pull the trigger with the magazine out because their assumption is that the mag, you know, if the magazine's not in the gun, it's safe. And that 10th round is actually in the magazine or no, I'm sorry, no longer the magazine, but it is chambered in the gun. And so they pull the trigger, the gun goes off. You know, unfortunately, things like that have happened and you know, people have been seriously injured or killed from it. Well, the problem with the, the magazine disconnect is it does not allow those magazines to drop free. You push the magazine release button and the magazine barely moves. So... Um, without some sort of extended base pads or anything like that, I find at least on my 2245 that you have to really kind of almost like you push the release, you take your fingernails and try to hook them on the, the base plate of the magazine and pull it out and slam the next one in. Um, so that was something that was going to need to be done. Also realize that the factory trigger is... I guess it's okay. Um, I have a hard time as a rifle shooter that's used to on shoot triggers, which are amazing. And uh, my trigger tech diamonds that are set down into the ounces uh, on the voodoos, it's difficult for me to pick up, you know, a gun that has a three or four pound trigger and not, you know, notice how heavy that trigger feels. And frankly, um, for me, it's also something where when I'm shooting a, a lighter weight rifle or handgun now with a really light trigger, it's, it takes a lot more focus because the trigger pull being so heavy, 
uh, the natural tendency is to pull the gun off of target because you're so focused on trying to pull the trigger. And um, I haven't put a trigger pull gauge on that 2245, but I swear that it feels like the trigger is probably in the at least three and a half to four and a half pound range. And we're talking about a very lightweight pistol. So as I went out and started trying to, to shoot and, and practice with it, I figured out I can go slow and uh, I can get hits on target. But as I try to speed up, my trigger discipline is just not, my trigger finger is just not fast enough to do what needs to be done uh, accurately without a tremendous amount of work. So I realize, you know, I'm going to need to go ahead and take care of the magazine disconnect. I'm going to have to work on the, um, the trigger and replace it with either some, you know, some parts from tandem cross or, uh, maybe Val Quartzen, you know, definitely I'm going to have to buy some parts from someone to, to work on that trigger. And then from there, um, I also realized, uh, you know, the, the running joke uh, that I've always heard about the Ruger pistols, whether it's the Mark ones, the Mark twos or the Mark threes, it's basically, you know, everybody that owns one should clean one, one time they should take it apart and, and, you know, take that thing apart, clean it. And once they do that, you know, realize that when you finally get it back together, um, you know, you'll probably never do that again. And that's because they were such a nightmare to take apart. And I say were like they're not still around. They're still a nightmare to take apart. You know, they they literally uh I feel like I feel like they skip steps in the the videos that I've seen on it. Uh I feel like they skip steps in the manual. I mean literally to me it's like you need to take a shot of ginger ale a shot of bourbon say three hail marys throw some salt over your shoulder do a one-handed handstand and then maybe after watching video after video after video and realizing that most of the, ma the videos don't mention putting a magazine back in before you do the final uh, uh, move of putting everything back together. You know, it just seems like it's way too difficult. So, um, you know, that's always been a challenge for me is uh, fighting the desire to take those things apart. And um, in practicing, what I figured out is that by 2245, I was having a lot of failures with shooting CCI mini mags, um, which I was using because, you know, it's high velocity. Uh, a lot of people had recommended uh, to shoot something like that uh, instead of standard velocity, like I would normally shoot in a rifle. And frankly, that's what I had was that I, I felt was reliable would be the mini mags. I feel like I get uh, better reliability out of those as far as misfires and anything. Then I do a lot of the bulk high velocity stuff that I've had for plinking uh, in the past. Um, stuff like 
maybe Federal Auto Match or the Federal Bulk boxes that you could buy for like, I think it's, I think Walmart would sell them for like 15 or $16 for like a 525 round bulk box. Um, CCI, Blazer, you know, stuff like that. Uh, stuff that's really fun to go out and plink with, but you're going to occasionally get a, uh, a you know, a failure to fire. And most of the time with those rounds, you can eject that round, uh, r- rotate it uh, a bit, put it back in the chamber and it'll fire. But when you're shooting something and you only have five targets you're shooting at and you're on, uh, on the clock to do it as quickly as possible, having a misfire, you know, I don't care how fast you eject that round chamber the next round and get back on target and shoot. You're not going to win a match doing that unless you have some really slow competition. So the mini mags from what I had, you know, available to me, it just made sense to, you know, practice with stuff that I had and to shoot what I had in matches. And that 2245, um, A, it needed to be cleaned really, really, really well. But even cleaning it, um, just didn't get as clean of, of the runs as I had hoped. Which leads me to walking into a Bass Pro Shops uh, in between seeing clients one day. And lo and behold, they had a Volkwartzen Black Mamba sitting on the shelf. Now, if you're not familiar with the Black Mamba, that is basically a Volkwartzen and Ruger combination. Uh, Volkwartzen buys factory Ruger Mark IVs. Uh, I guess the, it's the 2245s. Um, they buy those from Ruger. They replace the uh, the bolt and the barrel with the, I think it's their LLV uh, upper. I believe that's what that's the one that's on there. And they replace the trigger with the Volkhorsten trigger. They remove the magazine disconnect. And uh, they also replace the base plates on the factory Ruger magazines with the Volkhorsten extended base plates. And they also replace the magazine follower button, I believe it's referred to, with theirs. And um, they're still using the factory Ruger 2245 frame. They're just not using anything else, you know, from, from Ruger, at least that I can tell. Actually, I take that back. They are using the magazine body. But when they do this, um, what you end up with is a very clean, crisp trigger. Um, you have a great set of sights. It's a very cool looking pistol. The upper is really cool looking. Uh, it does have a large single port comp on the threaded barrel, but you can remove that comp if you wanted to and put a suppressor on. Um, although for steel challenge type shooting, you don't want a quiet gun. You want a loud gun, something that can, um, you know, um, it can trip the time or the, the timer trips the wrong way to say it. But basically you want something that the shot timer can hear each shot because the last thing you want to do is have a really fast run and the person who's running the timer to say, Oh wait, 
I only got three shots. You're going to have to reshoot that string. Um, so, you know, I looked at this uh, fall quartz and I thought, man, that is really nice. And then I, I thought, you know, I, I'm not going to buy that because I already had this Mark III 2245 light. And then I started doing some research on it and realized that to make the Mark III what I really wanted, um, I was going to spend a considerable amount of money uh, buying those parts from Volkortsen to clean up the trigger, um, to get better sights than what I had. Uh, even whether I was running irons or running uh, a dot, I still wanted to have good irons. And quite frankly, I was still at the end of it all. Um, I, because I already owned the pistol, I wouldn't have spent quite as much as if I bought a new pistol. But what I would have to deal with is I'd still have a Mark III, which would still be a nightmare to take apart and clean. And so uh, ultimately I decided to pick up the 2245 um, and the Black Mamba. Now, the one that I purchased is the, I think it's a four or four and a half inch barrel. Uh, if if a six inch had been available at the time, I absolutely would have purchased it, but it wasn't. And when I started looking at the available options, that pistol was available here in person, and I could walk into the shop and buy it, or I could order one online. And oddly enough, uh, I couldn't find the pistol at a better price anywhere than where what Bass Pro Shops was selling it for. And uh, even stranger enough, as a side effect of COVID, in case you guys haven't been looking, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> Ruger 2245s, the Mark IVs, especially the, the Mark IV lights, those things are, as we say in the, the, the South, they are as rare as hen's teeth. You can't find one anywhere. The gun shops are sold out. The distributors are sold out. When you find a uh, Mark IV light on a uh, uh, any website for sale, even on you know the, the auction sites like Gunbroker, those things are selling at or above the manufacturer's suggested retail price because they're so hard to get right now. And, um, you know, that has, I guess, carried over into the Volkortsons, although, you know, the Volkortsons, of course, they're quite a bit more expensive, but they're, you're getting a lot more for your money as well. So I ended up breaking down and purchasing that pistol. And all I can say with the limited amount of time I've had with it so far is wow, just wow. Um, the best shooting handgun I own is a Smith & Wesson Model 41. And uh, I say best shooting. It's, it's, it's a classy pistol. Um, it, my, mine is an older one, so the bluing is, is great. The grips are beautiful. I mean, it's just it's a work of art as a pistol. But it shoots very, very well. has great trigger. And actually, I thought seriously about shooting um, shooting that gun in Steel Challenge, and still may do it. But um, uh, it's 
it's one that I take care of versus, you know, running it out or taking it out and running it really hard. So from that standpoint, I don't know. Um, I don't know that I'm willing to go out and, uh, you know, run that thing through, through the paces quite like I would, uh, something else, especially considering the, the fact that Smith and Wesson recommends you only shoot standard velocity ammo in it. And, uh, I, my biggest concern there is, uh, having to rerun, uh, string after string because of issues with the timers. But I mentioned the 41 because the trigger on 41 is fantastic. It's, it's rifle quality. The trigger in the black Mamba isn't that far behind. It's a great trigger. It's crisp. Uh, I really like it. Uh, the sights are good and that little pistol has made a big difference in my times in practice. Now, when I'm out practicing, uh, you know, I'm friends of mine have some different, uh, setups some different plates and things like that. And, uh, we've got a, I think it's like six or eight inch plates. Uh, we've got a rack with six of those on there and just switching from the Mark three 45 light over to the black Mamba. I cut my time almost in half with the black Mamba. So, um, yeah, I've only been able to get it out a handful of times as I'm recording this, but I can't say enough good things about it. And you're definitely going to hear more about it in the future. Um, so far I've shot it with irons. I do have plans to pick up a red dot or two and give those a shot. And, uh, Hopefully I'll find something that works as a really good combo there. But anyway, I uh, just wanted to um, talk about that a little bit. Talk about current events, things that are happening. Uh, if you are looking for a fun uh, type of match, uh, I would highly recommend the Rimfire Challenge or the Steel Challenge. Um, obviously, having only shot it uh, once, uh, it hooked me really hard. And if you're looking for some uh, different podcasts out there. Uh, Steve Foster and Jeff Jones have a great podcast called the Steel Target Paint Podcast. Uh, they talk a lot about Steel Challenge, and um, they're a great resource. Uh, last but not least, head on over to the RimfireTactical.com website if you'd like to keep it, or um, you know, find out what's happening with the community. Um, learn about blog posts, podcasts as they come out, things like that. And head on over to the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. We're closing in on 10,000 members, and that's going to be happening here within the next few weeks, I feel certain. But head on over. It's a great group. We talk about everything from precision shooting to seal challenge and a little bit of everything in between. But head on over and check it out. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. Hope you guys have a great day. Stay positive. Test negative. Cheers. <laughs>